Chrisanne, I am I am here, but I I've got to get uh, JC to beam me in. I I got to get beamed into your show. I mean, I'm in the Liberty Lounge. I just got to get beamed. If you'll tell JC, uh, just tell JC to uh, say beam me up, Scotty. Tell him. Uh, okay, it's working. All right, it, it is it's working. Tell him that we are on and uh, we're good to go. All right, thanks for letting me do this. Are we on TV? Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Show live. I'm Bernie Thompson, and I'm so delighted to be here. They are on vacation, uh, Chris Ann and JC. Can you believe that? Finally, they're on vacation. And uh, these are my dear friends and have been for a long time. Mentors, uh, liberty champions like nobody else. And uh, we've we've done this for a long time. As a matter of fact, back in 2012, um, Chris Ann filled in for my radio show that was uh, aired throughout Florida before I got fired in 2014. She filled in for me in 2012, and she kept the momentum going until 2014. And it reminds me a lot of actually what happened with Chris Ann herself. Um, she's somebody who was willing to lose her job for liberty to tell the truth. And there's not a whole lot of folks like that. And you know why she can do that and, and why I do that? Because it's not what we do. It's really, uh, it's really who we are. We really can't do anything but that, as a matter of fact. And I'm so glad to be here. I'll be here till, uh, till Friday for the next three days. And my goal is going to be to try to introduce different ways of understanding things. Like, for example, today, I want to talk about why the left-right way of looking at politics uh, leaves us a little short. I want to do that. But first, I think I ought to tell you what I what I believe. Um, probably you're interested in, in what do I believe. And the first thing I believe is that all rights come from our creator, that they're inherent in our humanity, that rights don't come from government or men or women, and um, therefore they can't take them away. Not by right, but by might they can. I also believe that freedom is the number one paramount political value. I almost posted this the other day. I almost posted just a question, a poll with three answers. What is your most important political value? Freedom, these are the choices. Freedom, safety, or fairness. Freedom, safety, or fairness. They're all important, right? But your political value, your cosmic value, I'm big on fairness. Uh, safety, I'm pretty big on safety. But when it comes to politics, without a doubt, as Chris Ann says, liberty first, right? Liberty first always. And that's why I focus on my show. And I have for, gosh, I started doing the radio show in Florida. I'm in Panama City Beach. I had to beam in here to get out. I was already here. I just had to beam in to get into to Chris Ann's show is all. Thank goodness JC knew how to do that. But um, the three things I, I focused on, I started in 20, 2007, is liberty, which I think we should define, right? Because people think in terms of definitions and concepts. So how would you define liberty? I, I like I like Chris Ann's definition. Freedom 
plus morality, right? But really, it's the right to be unobstructed, to think, to say things, to work, to earn a living, to, to live a self-directed life. Liberty, number two, rule of law. That's a big one for me, rule of law. If you say, Bernie, what do you think the biggest uh, challenge or the biggest problem facing America is? Just in one sentence. I might say this, that the rule of law has been supplanted by the law of rulers. The rule of law has been supplanted by the law of rulers. It's been, it's, it's topsy-turvy. We got to flip it back. That's huge. Also, the third thing, the third big thing I talk about all the time is property rights. Property rights. You know, Thomas Locke said it best. He said that we have a property in our person. In other words, we own ourselves. You own you and I own me. Now, I believe God ultimately owns us. But here on earth, nobody else does. I believe in self-ownership, right? Somebody, one time I was speaking to a college. Gosh, this was back in 2008, probably. And it was a political science class. And the professor, the professor was really great. She asked me, but she asked me a question I wasn't ready for. She had a Democrat, she had a Republican, and then she had me. <laughs> I've divorced the Republican Party twice, by the way. Another one of my big beliefs is, and it's important, we got to pay attention to Democrats and Republicans, right? It's important. I have a lot to say about that. But here's what I really believe, that the, it, the challenge that we face is more the insider's versus the outsiders. And we're on the outside. It's the insiders versus the outsiders. Now, sometimes I have uh, Democrats say, Bernie, that's not true. Because it's my belief that right now, too many Democrats hate Republicans, really hate Republicans, even more than they love America. I believe that right now. I hate to say it. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me a little bit of the Palestinians and the Israelis. This is how I came up with this. I was sitting at my favorite saloon back about almost 10 years ago. And I was trying to figure out what's going on in America. And it, it occurred to me that the only way to explain some of this behavior by Democrats who I stood with back in 2002 when they opposed the Patriot Act, I stood with them. But by 2010, they loved the Patriot Act, right? Because they had a hold of the guillotine. All of a sudden, my Democrat friends, my liberal friends loved the Patriot Act. I said, wait a minute, I thought you were in favor of protecting Fourth Amendment privacy and things of that nature. But they weren't. All of a sudden, they just changed. And then I started hearing the way in 2010, 2012, it's worse now, how they talk about Republicans. And it occurred to me, it reminds me of how the they even dress that way now with the, all the black garb and the shields and the throwing rocks. It reminds me of how the Palestinians feel about the Jews. And I don't remember who said this, but somebody said, do you know when there will be real peace in the Middle East? It's when the Palestinians learn to love their children more than they hate the Jews. I thought, that's it. That's it. When, when will we get along again as Americans first? 
and realize that the biggest challenge is the insiders versus the outsiders. And we're all on the outside here. And that's when I realized, my goodness, too many Democrats right now hate Republicans more than they love America. And that's a real problem. So I view it as the insiders versus the outsiders. But if a Democrat or let's say a Republican this time, a Republican says, Bernie, that's not true. I have a lot more in common. Here, here let me ask you this. Do you think as a Republican, you have more in common with Jeb Bush, say, than Jeb Bush has with Hillary Clinton? I'm telling you, Jeb Bush has more in common with Hillary Clinton than Jeb Bush has with an everyday Republican. And the same goes true on the other side. If you're a Democrat and you think you have more in common with Hillary Clinton than she has with Jeb Bush, they're on the inside. It's like the Hunger Games, but not as funny. I mean, it's bad right now. You got to admit it's bad right now. So one of my goals today is to try to get us to see things because if we're going to fix the problem, we've got to understand the problem, right? We got to call things by the proper name. That's another thing we're dealing with. I'm going to tell you what uh, somebody posted on uh, Facebook about liberty, the word liberty. I'll get to that in a minute. One of my favorite ancient Chinese proverbs now, I only know four, but one of my favorite ancient Chinese proverbs is wisdom begins by calling things by their proper name, right? We got to call things by the proper name. We have to see things the way they are and not the way that we want to see them or the way that our allegiances are. One of my biggest things is to pursue the truth. I like to say, and one of the big, one of the big voice intros on my radio show was, uh, you know, the big voice guy would say the Bernie Thompson show, right? Where the truth will have its day. And that's what I want more than anything is for the truth to have its day. Not what I want to be true, but I want the truth to have its day. And the truth is elusive, by the way. I don't think any of us have a monopoly on truth. We might think we do, but we don't. And it starts with humility, right? To understand, I don't know everything. So I like to say that I'm the first one to admit when I'm wrong. The problem is I'm usually the last one to know, but I'm grateful when I find out. I don't want to go around continuing to be wrong, right? So these are all important things to me. And I'm telling you this because um, we don't know each other quite yet, do we? Most of us don't. And filling in for Chris Ann and J.C. Hall, those are big shoes. So these are the things I believe and these are the things that I um that I talk about and I think about the themes are liberty, the rule of law and property rights. Oh, the rule of law. What is the rule of law? How would you define that? And I got to get back to the question that the professor asked me. I never did tell it to you. I, I, I do this. I think the rule of law does at least two things. It mandates that government treat us equally, right? That there's an equal application under the law. And number two, there's a second thing that the rule of law does, and that is that we should know the laws and the rules in advance so that we can plan our lives and plan our businesses, right? We got to know the rule of law. And these reasons uh, are th the rule of law is so important to me, and I see it under attack, local, state, and federal. And I ask myself, where can I make the biggest difference? I'm telling you, I can't get over the, I cannot get over the razor wire in DC. Not that I would try. <laughs> <clears throat> we, 
Will you please tell them I was just making a point? I, I never know. Thank you. I never know. You know, these days saying normal things is risky, right? <laughs> he said he wants to get over the wire. No, I, I'm saying that we can make a bigger difference in local politics than we can. I can't change Joe Biden or, or Donald Trump or the situation in Washington, D.C. Got to pay attention to it, though. And we got to do our part. But it's just my belief that we can do more locally. And that's what I've been doing real strong since about 2016. So about the last five or six years, you know what I've been doing? I've been going to all the city council meetings and I have a bachelor's degree in political science. I, I've read about the corruption, but until you really see it, oh my God. But I'm that kind of guy, you know, like for example, right now I'm running a software program for the first time. This is like driving a car for the first time. I'm bound to push the wrong buttons today. I mean, I barely beamed into the show. This is the first time I've, I've driven this software program. But next week, I've got my own, and I'll be doing this a whole lot more if you want to follow me. As a matter of fact, if you want to follow me, let's see if I can get this right. Here's how you can. Um, this is where you can find me, and I haven't been real active on YouTube, but I do plan to be. Um, and this is where you can find me on YouTube, in case you're interested. And, uh, of course, on Facebook, this is where I'm at. So my first time driving this thing, I do want to show you something, though. So I decided that I'm going to go to every city single council meeting. And you wouldn't believe what I discovered. I, I discovered so much corruption. And I started to ask about it. And then I did that. I started making public records and I reported on it. I, ha I had a daily show and I would cover that. I consider myself a watchdog in Panama City Beach. Bay County area. Now, it, it was crazy because I would go up to the council and ask them questions. And they would ignore me. They would laugh at me. They wouldn't take me seriously, but I keep going anyway. And I'd go up and I'd ask questions. I'd make public record requests. And then I'd find all kinds of stuff on those public records. You wouldn't believe criminal stuff. Now, here's what I didn't know. I didn't know that the FBI was watching. I didn't know that. In 2016, 2017, 2018, 20, the FBI was watching. And guess what they ended up doing? I'm going to show you a minute and 30, uh, maybe a minute long clip of, of kind of what I did, the progression there. And, and this is important because it goes back to these were Republicans. And, and Republicans like me a whole lot more than Democrats do. Democrats hate me. Jeez, it's unbelievable. But these are Republicans. I consider them rhinos, Republicans in name only. I consider them cronies who, instead of using government to protect our rights, they continue to use their position to try to benefit themselves. Take a look at just this, this short clip of what I did and what it resulted in. I'm here at the scene of the crime spree, right behind you. You can kiss my foot. Mr. Lincoln, you're out of order. FBI, we are asking you to investigate this council. Please look into this council, how they award contracts, the bid process, how they use their positions to benefit their friends and themselves, how they use their positions to attack residents and critics and neighbors and business competition. FBI, will you please look into this? And I welcome the FBI here. Uh, if you notice, if you notice, uh, 
Mr. Thompson, with his plea for the FBI at his watchdog group, this city runs the cleanest in this whole county. I guarantee you. He was served a federal subpoena this morning. He did receive a subpoena this morning, and we are going to cooperate 100% with the subpoena. And most of you who were involved up here, you gaslighted me. You tried to say I was crazy. And now we know that that's not true. And there's a lot of other issues I've been asking about as well. That happened, and that can happen locally. If if you if enough people link arms and go to city hall, I know it's not sexy. It's not nearly as sexy as what happens on, you know, uh, TV and on Twitter, all that stuff. But that's where we can make the biggest difference. Is if we link arms and go to city hall, we can make the ground rumble. We can make a difference. Every single one of those city council members since 2016 got subpoenaed by the FBI in August. And right now, uh, arrests are happening. Indictments are happening. And so, what do they say? Uh, draining the swamp, doing our best. Locally is where we can do our best. But not everybody agrees. It, it, this is a first. I mean, I've, I've seen people change. You know, Democrats change a lot over the past 10 years. But I, this one even surprised me. On Facebook, I'd mentioned the word liberty. And, you know, I had uh, I don't know who this person is. It's the first time I've, I've seen her, really. But she's a progressive. You know what she posted? I'm going to show you what she posted. So on my Facebook page. She posted this. What do you say to this? What would you how would you respond to this? I mentioned liberty and she says liberty is a word that the privilege use as a weapon against the collective good. Liberty is a word the privileged use as a weapon against the collective good. What would you say to that? You know what I came up with? Here, here's what I came up with. Privilege is a word that thieves use to try to get politicians to vote them other people's stuff. That's what I think. That's how I think we should respond to this stuff, too. Here's what most people do, right? If somebody says, uh, you know, liberty is a word, what do most people do? They defend it, right? They say, no, no, you don't understand. Let me explain what liberty is. And they put you on your heels. They put you on your heels. I don't do that. No, no, no. You know what? Let me tell you something. What I think is that the word privileged is a word that thieves use to try to get politicians to vote them other people's stuff. That's what I think. These are like modern day Jacobins. You see it on Twitter, it's brutal. They're like Twitter Robespierre's all over the place. <laughs> if you don't know Maximilian Robespierre, that's another story. Maybe I'll, I'll talk about that one too. But I wanna get into this, um, well, let's talk. Uh, first of all, liberty of all things. I mean, shouldn't you think? Shouldn't progressives, liberals, conservatives, libertarians, I mean, we all want to be able to do what we want to do. The problem usually arises when other people want to do what they want to do and we don't like it. That's when the tolerance gets tested. But it, I'm telling you, I've been, I've been doing this stuff and thinking about this stuff for a quarter of a century. About a quarter of a century. I did the radio show about 14 years, but I got really interested in this stuff and started reading and thinking about 25 years ago. I was, well, geez, I was 23 
and I was going to Riverside Community College. And I was, uh, I never cared about politics. I never thought about politics um, until I took a sociology class. <laughs> that was a big mistake. And it was Dr. David Baker, Riverside Community College in Southern California, around 1989. I took three of his sociology classes. I came from a solidly working class family, okay? And we didn't have a lot. And um, I figured back in the mid 80s, late 80s, the only way I was going to get anywhere is to win the lottery. That was my plan. And so when I took the sociology class, Dr. David Baker explained what the problem really was. He was a self-professed Marxist. OK. And in college, by the way, Marxism is a cool thing. You know, it, out here, when you say Marxist, a lot of people think it's a pejorative. Right. You're you're putting somebody down. But in college, it's the it's the philosophy of envy. Uh, it's the philosophy of fairness. I'm telling you, they love Marxism in college. Out here, I think I discovered it is what it is. And that's the philosophy of of envy is what Marxism is. It's all about class conflict, as though we have classes in society, like a caste system where you can't move up and move down. That's what made America really a wonderful place for a long time, but. If, if they start messing with the rule of law and changing the rules all the time and, and messing with property rights and, and liberty, it'll be a lot harder to move up and down. And she didn't understand this, this young lady who talked about liberty being a word that the privileged use. This is what happens when you don't know your history. You know, one of the things that's been frustrating me the most, because I really did, I, I took so much time to study this stuff. You know, I talked a little bit about what I believe, but the reason I believe it is because I was a Marxist. I thought the reason I wasn't doing well, are you ready for this? I thought the reason I wasn't doing well is because the owners of the companies who hired me, they were stealing from me. <laughs> That's what Marxism says, by the way, right? That the owners, they're keeping everything, right? They're not giving you anything, they're taking from you. Now, I kept, the thing is I kept reading and I kept learning and I kept thinking. Right. I kept wanting to understand. And that led me straight out of Marxism. What a dumb philosophy. The owners are getting uh, are basically stealing from you. I didn't have anything to begin with. That would be a terror. If you were a thief, I promise you, you wouldn't want to rob me. Especially at the age of 23. It reminds me of the bank robbers. They asked the bank robbers, why'd you rob the banks? You know what they said? Because that's where the money is. Right. Marxism is stupid. So I kept reading. This book here is the number one book that I'd recommend on any Liberty Library. It's called The Law by Frederick Bastiat, but it could be called The Government. It was written in 1850. Bastiat was a French philosopher. He was a French economist. And oh my goodness, did he really understand and explain uh, the, the proper role of, of government in a free society. One of my favorite quotes is this. He says, government is that great fiction whereby some people try to live off of everybody else. This is only 55 pages long. This is the first book I'd recommend on any Liberty Library. The things that he explains are unbelievable. And he looks at what makes people in government so noble? And, and, and why are people not in government considered greedy? What special clay are you made of? This book is a must. This one, too, by the way, if you haven't read Economics in One Lesson, these are books written for us. Yeah, I went on. I study a lot of this stuff. I I, I ended up uh, 
I ended up going on getting a bachelor's degree in political science, a master's degree in journalism, and a master's degree in English. Not bad for a guy who graduated with four F's high school, four F's and two D's. I did. I graduated high school with four F's and two D's. I'm not a fast burner. I got my bachelor's degree at 32. You know what my best friend told me when I got four uh, F's and two D's? Told me I was spending too much time in two classes. He was no help. But I didn't let education get in the way of my learning, as Mark Twain said. I kept reading. I kept learning. These books are written for lay people. Short chapters. My goodness. When you understand what's in these books, you'll be unbamboozable. You won't be bamboozled. They won't be able to. So these are all really important things. Um, I want to get into, into why looking at government as the left and the right really will leave us frustrated. We won't understand as well as we could know. And we've got to understand before we can gain clarity and, and, and make a difference and fix the problem. For one thing, think about this. The left and the right, in terms of American left and American right, they move. They're not the same. Like I said, my liberal friends were against the Patriot Act in 2001, 2002, 2005, 2006. But as soon as Barack Obama became the president, they loved it. It was just like the French Revolution and Maximilian Robespierre. He was the, he was the guy kind of like Obama in the French Revolution, which happened you know, just after our revolution. He was, a, he was this smooth-talking attorney, and he was against the guillotine, right? He was against chopping off people's head. He said it wasn't humane until he became the boss, and then he loved the guillotine. He was against it before he was for it. Sound familiar? So things change. And so I think there's a better way to understand um, politics. I want to share a few of them with you. I've got a video I, I want to share, and I'm going to stop it in the, in the middle, and, and we'll look at it together. This is, I hope, one of the most important videos that you'll ever see in terms of understanding what government is. Watch this. So the first video is about four or five minutes long, all right? The second video is about two and a half minutes long, and the third, and it's all one piece, but I didn't want to play the whole thing at once. These are the five forms of government. It's not left and right. That paradigm does not help us understand the totality of all of this. It's not a left-right uh, linear paradigm. It's a lot more than that. This comes from, by the way, the John Birch Society. The video is probably 12 years old. It comes from the John Birch Society. Here's another way of looking at the forms of government. When Benjamin Franklin exited the Constitutional Convention, he was asked by a woman, Sir, what have you given us? His immediate response was, A republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. Yet most Americans today have been persuaded that our nation's governmental system is a democracy and not a republic. The difference between these two is essential in understanding Americanism and the American system. Before we discuss political systems, however, it's helpful to address the confusion that has been spread about the political spectrum. Many have been led to believe that the political spectrum places groups such as communists on the far left, 
fascists or dictators on the far right, and political moderates or centrists in the middle. However, a more accurate political spectrum will show government having zero power on the far right to having 100% power on the far left. At the extreme right, there is no government. The extreme left features total government under such labels as communism, socialism, Nazism, fascism, princes, potentates, dictators, kings, any form of total government. Those who claim that Nazis and fascists are right-wing never define their terms. This amounts to spreading confusion. Toward the middle of the political spectrum can be found the type of government limited to its proper role of protecting the rights of the people. That's where the Constitution of the United States is. Those who advocate such a form of government are really constitutional moderates. So let's analyze the basic forms of government. They are monarchy or dictatorship ruled by one, oligarchy ruled by a few, democracy ruled by a majority, republic ruled by law, and anarchy which is ruled by no one. In discussing these five, we'll see that they can be narrowed down to even fewer. Looking first at monarchy or dictatorship, this form of government doesn't really exist in the practical sense. It's always a group that puts one of its members up front. A king has his council of nobles or earls, and every dictator has his bureaucrats or commissars, the men behind the scenes. This isn't ruled by one, even though one person may be the visible leader. It's ruled by a group. So let's eliminate monarchy, dictatorship, because it never truly exists. Oligarchy, which is ruled by a group, is the most common form of government in all history. And it is the most common form of government today. Most of the nations of the world are ruled by a powerful few. And therefore, oligarchy remains. At the other end, we find anarchy, which means without government. Some people have looked over history and found that many of its worst crimes were committed by governments. So they decided that having no government might be a good idea. But this is a mistake, because as the ancient Greeks stated, without law there can be no freedom. Our founding fathers agreed and held that some amount of government is a necessary force in any civilized orderly society. In a state of anarchy, however, everyone has to guard life, liberty and property and the lives of family members. Everyone must be armed and movement is severely restricted because one's property has to be protected at all times. Civilized people have always hired someone to do the guarding, a sheriff, a police force, or some branch of government. Once law enforcement was in place, the people were freer. They could leave their property, work in the fields, and so on. In short, the proper amount of government makes everyone freer. There are some who advocate anarchy, however, not because they want no government, but because they don't like what they have. They use anarchy as a tool for revolutionary change. The condition of anarchy is very much like a vacuum where something rushes in to fill it. These calculating anarchists work to break down the existing government with rioting, killing, looting and terrorism. Tragically, the people living in such chaos often go to those best able to put an end to it and beg them to take over and restore order. And who is best able to put an end to the chaos? The very people who started it. The anarchists who created the problem then create a government run by them, an oligarchy, where they have total power. This is exactly what happened in Russia that led to Lenin taking total power, and in Germany where Hitler's brown shirts created the chaos that brought him to power. 
But anarchy isn't a stable form of government. It's a quick transition from something that exists to something desired by the power-hungry. It's a temporary condition. And because it isn't permanent, we eliminate it as well. How about that? So really, rather than looking at it as the left and the right on a line, think about the different forms, right? You've got total government, you've got no government. And then in between, you've got other stuff. you got rule by a few. You've got a majority rule, which I consider mob rule. And then you've got uh, a republic. And what is a republic? What's the difference between a republic and a democracy? Aren't they kind of the same? I consider it this way. I mean, a pure democracy, no, it's not the same. It's mob rule, right? It's uh, two wolves and a lamb voting on what's for dinner, as I think Ben Franklin once said, maybe Mark Twain. But it's certainly not fair. It certainly doesn't, doesn't mean that each individual, right, is, is valued, is, has rights, even if somebody else tries to vote them away. Why can nobody vote your rights away? Because they didn't give them to you this why. They came from God. They can't vote them away because they're not the Lord. Not by right they can't, but by might they often do. Am I right? So uh, this is this is a big deal. Remember, inherent in our humanity is liberty and freedom, and uh, we created government to protect ourselves from that very thing. Is is that not exactly what's happening right now today? But as far as is democracy and a republic, are they the same? They're different if you look at them purely, right? But if you consider democracy as sort of a big umbrella, which is another way, maybe a second definition of looking at it, where the people have a say, sure, then, the repu then a republic is a form of that. I had a debate on the radio back in, gosh, probably 2010 with a professor from Troy University. He was... He was making fun of conservatives at the time who were saying things like, um, we're a republic, not a democracy. He said it was a distinction without a difference. So I said, come on the show and let's talk about it. And we had a debate about it. I actually wrote an article that I, if I have time, I'll share with you before the end of the show, because my goal was not to debate and, and change his mind. I didn't expect to change his mind. Because really all he wanted to do was poke Republicans in the eye and, and show everybody online how smart he is, how educated he is, and how Republicans are really just, you know, dumb rednecks. That's really what he was doing. So I didn't, I didn't debate him on the radio show to change his mind. My goal, and it's always my goal, is to find out where do we disagree if we really do. Where do we disagree exactly? And also, I wanted everybody listening to hear both points of view, the best sides of both points of view, right? Then they could make up their own minds. And you know what it came down to? It came down to this. The professor thinks that the government is a dispenser of rights, that rights come from the government. He thinks it's silly talk that people are born with rights. He thinks government can give them out. The problem with that is what? That's right. 
If the government can give them out, they can take them away. I remember when um, uh, Justice Ginsburg, about uh, 10 years ago, probably, maybe eight years ago, she made a comment that, that if, a, if a new country is developing and they're developing a constitution, they ought to take a good look at uh, South Africa. She said, now that's a good constitution. That's a good one, she said, because that one, the people have more rights. They give more rights out, right? They, they get more time off work. They get more government benefits. Uh, they, get, they even get dignity. Believe it or not, the government gives them dignity. She said, that's the kind of constitution we should have. Do you know America has the shortest constitution and the oldest constitution in the world? It's the shortest one in the world. It's only about 4,300 words. That's only like seven uh, newspaper articles back to back. It's not very long. You know what I wanted my daughters when they were growing up, when they were young, I'd always say, little ladies, what is the Constitution? And I, I only wanted them to be able to say this. And I still say this. Look, I taught college English. Okay? I taught persuasive writing. And, and I have a different way of teaching, right? I want to make sure you learn something and keep it. I don't want you just to pass the test and forget it like I did a lot of times. I wanted you to remember something. I got to save that story. I got I to move along here. But here's how I view the Constitution. It is, again, the supreme law of the land, right? It's like a big umbrella that does at least three things. Tell me if you agree. What are the three things that the U.S. Constitution does? Well, it sets up our government, right? It sets up the form of government, three branches, all that stuff. <laughs> number two, <clears throat> number two, it it it, it um, lists the powers that government has, right? And number three, it guarantees our rights against government encroachment. At least it does those things. Uh, sets up the sets up the structure of government, uh, gives government, the federal government, certain powers, not rights. Remember, because rights come from God and we gave the government power. We can't give the government rights because we're not the Lord. We can only give government powers and then guarantees our rights in the Bill of Rights. Does those three things. You know what I used to say about uh, a decade ago? I used to say on the radio that the Constitution is like a handshake between the federal governments and the states. It's an agreement between the federal government and the states. I said that for a couple of years. I was wrong. And do you know how I found out I was wrong? <clears throat> Listening to Chris Ann Hall. Chris Ann Hall said, no, 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 you got it backwards. <clears throat> Excuse me. Here's what she said. And this is so important to know. I got the handshake part right. <clears throat> the Constitution is a, is a compact among the states, right? Among the states, not between the federal government and the states, among the states.
Sorry about that. So what I was saying is the Constitution does those three things, but the federal government, we only needed a federal government. The states only needed a federal government to be a referee among the states so we could agree on what a dollar is and what a, a pound is or a yard is. And, and so that we could have an ambassador to other nations and, and to have an armed guard like the Navy right, against invaders. That's what we needed a federal government for. <laughs> but not to lord over us, for God's sake. You know, the uh, 10th Amendment, of course, addresses that. But my favorite amendment, which I do want to talk with you about, by the way, before the end of Friday, who knows what my, who knows what my favorite amendment is? It's the Ninth Amendment. The Ninth Amendment is my favorite. You know why? Because it's the first now, now somebody would say, you see how dumb this guy is? He says the ninth is the first. What kind of idiot did Chris Hanhall bring on the show? No, the ninth amendment is the first. Let me tell you. So the, the, the 10 amendments together are called what? I need this. The Bill of Rights, that's what they're called. But the last two are very different than the first eight, right? The first eight amendments tell the federal government, you can't do this and you can't do that, right? You can't come sleeping in our homes anymore. That's the third amendment. You know how I remember that? Because three is a crowd, right? Look, you can't, you can't come in here. That's the third amendment. That's how I remembered that. Real deep philosophical thinking. But the last two amendments are different. The last two amendments are principles. They're not prohibitions. We know the 10th, right? The 10th Amendment says, and I think it's, quote, you're not the boss of us. Something like that, right? If we didn't delegate the power to you, we still have that power. You only have the ones we gave you. 10th Amendment, right? You're not the boss of us. But the 9th Amendment is where it all starts. Because that one talks about, oh, I, I'm going to read it to you. The ninth, who knows the Ninth Amendment? It's like the Forgotten Amendment, but it's my favorite. The Ninth Amendment says, the right of the people, uh, I'm sorry, that's not, I'm looking at the wrong one here. I was looking at the third one. Uh, the Ninth Amendment, the enumeration in the Constitution, the listing of stuff, of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. In other words, just because something's not listed in the Constitution doesn't mean you don't have that right. The Constitution doesn't list out your rights. The Constitution lists out things the governments, the federal governments, allowed to do and nothing else. Now, they do a lot more, and some judges say they should, and some people say that's the way it should be. But that's not the supreme law of the land. So the Ninth Amendment says the rights of the people. It all starts with the people. That's why the Ninth Amendment is the first. Because as Chris Ann Hall says, the Ninth Amendment says 
all the rights in the universe belong to us. And it all starts with us, right? We're born and inherent in our humanity is liberty. And then we got to build a government to protect us from hordes of thieves. It all starts with the ninth. As a matter of fact, in the beginning, there was the Ninth Amendment. And the Ninth Amendment was the beginning, sound familiar, of these United States. It's like the genesis of these United States, of the Constitution, of liberty, right? Because it starts with us being born in God's image. You know, you know what they say now? Uh, they, yeah. You know what, what, what people are accusing others in America of now? Uh, racism, white supremacy, to even say something like, uh, uh, like our rights being inherent in our humanity and, and, and liberty and, and these sorts of things. And it's so disappointing to me because people who are making these arguments are hurting the very people that they claim to help because they don't understand. They don't understand the origin or the history or the fragility of rights, where they come from, what they are. Do they ever collide? Do rights ever collide? No, rights do not collide. If you see two people say, I got the right to do this. I got the right to play uh, my music really, really loud. And this person says, oh, oh no, here's a better example. I've got the right to free health care, right? And the doctor says, well, I actually have a right to, to, to treat who I want to treat and run my own business. And so it says, no, you, your work and your labor and your resources, you have to give them to me because I have a right to health care, a right to it. See, the rights collided. One of those two is not a right. That's a really important, you know, Ayn Rand talks about that actually a lot. She wrote a book called, uh, I can't remember the name of it. It'll probably pop in my head before the end of the show. But Ayn Rand talks about, if you ever see what appears to be two rights colliding, look closely at that and you'll find that one of them is not. One of them is telling somebody else, you got to give me your stuff or your time. Now, um, I, I forgot exactly what I was going to tell you that is being called white supremacy. But it's just awful. Let me move along to the second video before uh, before I maybe it'll pop into my head. So we've learned now that the, the five different forms of government, right? You've got no government, anarchy. You've got one guy in charge, a monarchy. And then you've got a few people in charge, an oligarchy a republic, and a democracy. So we have various forms of government. And the video in the first part shows uh, that in order to be free, we have to have some government, right? It's kind of like what George Washington said. Who remembers what George Washington said about government and fire? George Washington said that uh, government, that fire is a... a a dangerous servant and a fearful master. Now, what do you mean by that? Government is a, a dangerous servant, a fearful master? Well, think about fire, right? Somebody says, fire is good. Let's spread it all over the house. 
you know, let's put some in the front room. You know, we already got it in the kitchen. Let's put a little bit in the front room. We need some in the bedroom and the bathroom. It's good. I'm telling you, if you do that, you're going to burn your house down, right? Fire is like government. It's good where only it should be so that we can have a better quality of life, so that we can have liberty, so that we can be secure in our persons and our property from those who would take them by force or coercion. So it goes into that. Now let's get to the second part. All right, here is about a two minute video there. And it starts off with something that may surprise you. Did you know that democracy, the word democracy appears nowhere in our founding documents? The word democracy comes from two Greek words, demos meaning people and kratian meaning to rule. Democracy therefore means the rule of the people, majority rule. This of course sounds good, but suppose the majority decides to take away one's home or business or children. Obviously there has to be a limit. The flaw in democracy is that the majority isn't restrained. If more than half the people can be persuaded to want something in a democracy, they rule. What about republic? Well, that comes from the Latin, res meaning thing and publica meaning public. It means the public thing, the law. A true republic is one where the government is limited by law, leaving the people alone. America's founders had a clean slate to write on. They could have set up an oligarchy. In fact, there were some who wanted George Washington to be their king. But the Founding Fathers knew history, and they chose to give us the rule of law in a republic, not the rule of a majority in a democracy. Why? Let's demonstrate the difference in the setting of the Old West. Consider a lynch mob in a democracy. 35 horseback riders chase one lone gunman. They catch him, and they vote 35 to 1 to hang him. Democracy has triumphed, and there's one less gunman to contend with. Now consider the same scenario in a republic. The 35 horseback riders catch the gunman and vote 35 to 1 to hang him. But the sheriff arrives and he says, you can't kill him, he's got his right to a fair trial. So they take the gunman back to town. A jury of his peers is selected and they hear the evidence and the defense and they decide if he shall hang. Does the jury even decide by majority rule? No, it has to be unanimous or he goes free. The rights of the government aren't subject to majority rule, but to the law. This is the essence of a republic. Good stuff, isn't that good stuff? Again, that's from the John Birch Society. It's an old video, but it's so important to get beyond thinking of, of politics just as the left and the right in America. Because as I say, they move around anyway. They don't believe the same things at different times. But he, he mentioned the sheriff. Do you know that the sheriff is there, there's nobody that has more power uh, in terms of enforcing laws in a, in a county than a sheriff. He's the highest, or she, is the highest ranking constitutional constable in a county. I, I know Chris Ann has talked about this and J.C. Hall has talked about this, um, but not even the federal government is above a county sheriff in the county. And, and that's been upheld many times, by the way, in the Supreme Court. Notice I didn't say that they issued a ruling. Talk about an oligarchy, right? Five people in black robes issue a ruling. 
that is like, I mean, that is insane to me that, that we got there and we got there quick in America. Well, what are the issue then, Bernie? I'll tell you, go to the Supreme Court website and look for the tab that says rulings. You won't find one. What you'll find is one that says opinions. Who thinks that the states that created the federal government would have created a federal government and said, one of you three branches, only one of you can be the boss of all of us. Would they have done that? No, they didn't do that. Federal government assumed that power and the states let them. We kind of find ourselves back in that situation, by the way. So where we are now in America is what they talked in the first segment of that video about, right? Our Republic has been crumbling for a while. And now we are getting to the point of anarchy. You want me to prove it? Where do I start? Let me just say this. When, uh, when, when you can't even question the uh, veracity of an election without the federal government saying that you might be an extremist, yeah, I'd say we're getting there. When the federal government breaks its own laws with impunity, and when uh, states allow this, see, I think, actually, to be honest, right now, as bad as things are, with a federal government issuing edicts from on high, taking this right away and that right away for safety, for fairness, what is the answer? Well, Bernie, we'll, we'll go vote. We need to vote. Well, maybe the Supreme Court will save us. I'm telling you, there's we, we can't count on it. What can we do? I think the states need to reassert their rights. We created you, right? And there's a legal doctrine known as uh, the rules of construction. And what it basically means is, that which is created cannot be more powerful than its creator, right? The states created the counties. That's why the county's ordinances don't supersede the state. They don't supersede the state because the states created them. Same with us, right? But Bernie, what about the supremacy clause? The supreme law of the land, right? The federal government is the boss. No, no, no. You're leaving out a part. Read that. It's in the uh, it's in the uh, article in Article Six. It's short. It says these acts created by Congress and these treaties and this Constitution they're the supreme law of the land and all the states have agreed to abide by it. But what everybody leaves out is, as long as they are made in pursuance thereof to the Constitution, as long as they're pursuant to the Constitution. If they're not, if they're passing laws that they're making up, that are repugnant to the Constitution, that are not in the Constitution, those laws are null and void. How do you know, Bernie, who said that? Just James Madison. You may have read about him. He was in all the papers, father of the Constitution, and all that stuff. So where are we now? I think that we have to have states say, when the federal government says, um, we've created a new law that says all the residents in your state must 
fill in the blank, right? Turn in their, their high capacity magazines, right? That's when the states need to say, yeah, we wouldn't be interested in doing that. We never delegated that authority, right? It's called the um, anti-commandeering doctrine. And again, it's been upheld in the Supreme Court. And it basically says, this is important, anti-commandeering doctrine. It says that the federal government cannot commandeer state or local resources to enforce their acts, their laws. Can't do it. It's a big deal. So states need to say, eh, we're not interested in doing that. We're not going to do that. Right? Nullify the anti-constitutional federal acts. Now, number two, um, you know, there's, um, there was a book written by William, not, not a book, it was an article, I believe, one of his first um, back in like 1959 uh, in his magazine. And in it, he talked about standing athwart, I forget how what, what his line was, but I, I kind of adopted that. And, and here's what I believe. And tell me if you agree. Now is the time for states to stand athwart the federal government and yell stop. The states need to stand athwart the federal government and say, stop already. We're not doing that. You don't have that authority. That's where we are. That's, to me, uh, the kind of the last remnant left of our constitutional republic in terms of, of how it's set up and, and what you do when a federal government becomes abusive. What does the Declaration of Independence say? When a government becomes abusive to these ends, remember, the people have the right to alter and abolish it. And it, it, it sort of feels like that time. I got to get to part three. All right, here's part three of. Uh, I didn't play part three yet, did I? Let's let's get to part three um, of, it, because it, the John Birch Society sort of covers uh, what I'm stumbling around trying to cover. Many Americans would be surprised to learn that the word democracy does not appear in the Declaration of Independence or the U.S. Constitution nor does it appear in any of the constitutions of the 50 states. The founders did everything they could to keep us from having a democracy. James Madison, rightly known as the father of the Constitution, wrote in essay number 10 of the Federalist Papers, Democracies have ever been spectacles of turbulence and contention, have ever been found incompatible with personal security or the rights of property, and have in general been as short in their lives as they have been violent in their deaths. Alexander Hamilton agreed and he stated, we are a Republican government. Real liberty is never found in despotism or in the extremes of democracy. Samuel Adams, a signer of the Declaration of Independence stated, democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts and murders itself. The founders had good reason to look upon democracy with contempt because they knew that the democracies in the early Greek city-states produced some of the wildest excesses of government imaginable. In every case, they ended up with mob rule, then anarchy, and finally tyranny under an oligarchy. During that period in Greece, there was a man named Solon who urged creation of a fixed body of law not subject to majority whims. 
But where the Greeks never adopted Solon's wise counsel, the Romans did. Based on what they knew of Solon's laws, they created the Twelve Tables of the Roman Law and, in effect, built a republic that limited government power and left the people alone. Since government was limited, the people were free to produce, with the understanding that they could keep the fruits of their labor. In time, Rome became wealthy and the envy of the world. In the midst of plenty, however, the Roman people forgot what freedom entailed. They forgot that the essence of freedom is the proper limitation of government. When government power grows, people freedom recedes. Once the Romans dropped their guard, power-seeking politicians began to exceed the powers granted them in the Roman Constitution. Some learned that they could elect politicians who would use government power to take property from some and give it to others. Agriculture subsidies were introduced, followed by housing and welfare programs. Inevitably, taxes rose and controls over the private sector were imposed. Soon, a number of Rome's producers could no longer make ends meet, and they went on the dole. Productivity declined, shortages developed, and mobs began roaming the streets, demanding bread and circuses from the government. Many were induced to trade freedom for security. Eventually, the whole system came crashing down. They went from a republic to a democracy and ended up with an oligarchy under a progression of the Caesars. Thus, democracy itself is not a stable form of government. Instead, it is the gradual transition from limited government to the unlimited rule of an oligarchy. Knowing this, we as Americans are ultimately left with only two choices. We can keep our republic, as Franklin put it, or we will inevitably end up with an oligarchy, a tyranny of the elite. Boy, doesn't that feel a little too close to home? But you know, it's a recurring story, and it's our time. And so that's why I think it's important for us to understand things. You know, we got to understand things before we can set out to try to fix them in the right way. Um, I'll say this about America before I, I wrap this up. Um, and I've been saying this for more than a decade. I think I first heard it from Dinesh D'Souza. And that's this, what, what made America special, right? Where we could live self-directed lives and we could move up and down in, in uh, our socioeconomic status uh, through hard work, self-improvement, and good cheer. We could do that. It's not a caste system. Um, no guarantees, but we had a chance. That's about the best we can have in this world, isn't it? So what made America different than any other nation ever created that I know of is that it began with a theological maxim that we were born in God's image. You are. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're black or you're white. You're born in God's image. And I don't care if you're fat or you're skinny, straight or gay, any of it. You're born in God's image. And therefore, the government should protect our rights. That's that's a first. Did, did everybody start there? No. But understand that when the Constitution was created in these United States really began, there already has had been hundreds of years, thousands of years, if you count everybody, of slavery. It's just that the government we created was a fast track out of it 
in human history, not unfortunately for individuals, but in human history, it was a fast track out of it. So number one, the United States is a theological maxim that we're all born in God's image, combined with a political application of a constitutional republic that says that you matter. Even if 98% of others say you don't matter, damn it, you do. Theological maxim combined with a political application created these United States. And um, that's special. And it doesn't just get handed down. It doesn't just happen, unfortunately, because of human nature. So one more thing about the sheriffs. Do you know that sheriffs today, their job today is exactly what the sheriff's job was, say the sheriff of Nottingham, say the, the sheriffs under the British monarchy, their jobs, I'm telling you, the sheriff's job's exactly the same. Here's their job. <clears throat> the sheriff's job is to interpose himself between the people and the sovereign, right? Bet between, and, and this is a big deal, so back then, the sovereign was the king, and the sheriff had to protect the king. But in the United States, the people are sovereign. So the sheriff's job is the same, to interpose himself and to protect the sovereign. We flipped it to where it should have been all along, and that's a big deal. The sheriff's job is to protect the people, and good sheriffs do. And, and that's, a, that's an important thing to understand as well. I hope that you get a chance to watch all those uh, videos combined. You can find them on YouTube. And speaking of that, can I show you, I haven't been real active on YouTube, but I'm going to start being active because I have the same uh, software that Chris Ann and JC use. And I'll be doing more of these types of shows uh, on all of the platforms. So if you want to find me on YouTube, there it is. And uh, if you want to find me on Facebook, it's right here. I did not get a chance to read any of your comments while I was doing this. I'm driving this software program for the first time. <laughs> so I didn't get a chance to read your comments, but I will. And I'm so grateful that so many of you stuck around this whole time. I, I, I know how you feel about Chris Ann and JC because I feel the same way about Chris Ann and JC. Uh, they're also my mentors. Um, uh, there's nobody I respect more. Uh, what they do is not a normal, uh, say, business model or life model. But it's, like I say, it's not what they do. It's who they are. And I'm so grateful that, that they trusted me enough to be here with you. Um, although uh, now I realize, Chris Ann, if you're watching, is she laughing? I forgot to put this on there the whole time. I was so, she told me, she said, make sure you put that overlay number four on there. Don't forget to go to chrisannhall.com. I've been promoting myself the whole time. Chris Ann, it was an accident. So um, don't forget to go to chrisannhall.com. I'm so grateful for what they do. I'll be here with you tomorrow and Friday. And I've got some other, I think, very interesting things. And my goal is to show you, to share with you. She says it's a teach show, not a talk show. And I, I'll make it a bit of a share show. I'll share with you some other ideas that may give you new ways of looking at things and appreciating liberty. Until then, thank you for being with me.